All right, everyone. Welcome to the newest episode of The Jay Davis Show. I'm super excited to have Phil Yu with us here today. He's the co-founder and CEO of The Cubicle. Thanks for coming on the show, Phil. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, why don't you start off by just kind of telling the listeners uh, a little bit about yourself and how you uh, got to where you are today. Sure. So I am 33 years old. So I am in between being a kid and being grown up, I guess. And the reason I feel that <laughs> yeah. way is a lot of our customers are children. And so at some point of the day, I have to be able to relate to them, but I also have to relate to parents and I'm kind of in that in between. So yeah, I don't know really where I am, but uh, I've been running the cubicle since 2011. It was a business that we founded in our dorm room at NYU. So it's one of those businesses that kind of just started because few people were passionate about the products. We were both living the lifestyle of a competitive speed cuber. And so we decided to start a store to express ourselves in the puzzle industry. And one thing led to another. And now this is the full-time job of many, many other people. Yeah. Love it. That's so amazing. Uh, can you take us back to being in your dorm room? You're at NYU. Was that like an iterative process that was kind of over time? Was it like one day you're like, oh my gosh, I, get, I have this? It sounded like it was a passion for you. When did that shift to a business idea? Right. So I met my business partner in a Asian studies class. So we were sitting in the back. I had my cube. He had his cube. And we had that like whoa moment when we realized that we shared the same hobby. And it's a very niche hobby. So it's not every day you run into a person who does what you do. And so people who cube, they're called cubers. They're really excited to see each other, especially in casual settings like that. You know, if you're going to a cubing event, naturally you'll see people who cube. But if you're just on the street and you see someone who does that, it's, it's very exciting. So we were very excited. And um, it was great because he had a very strong technical background. He majored in finance and cop side. And I was uh, a lot more creative and... Um, had uh, a lot more interested people. So we were able to combine our skills and uh, start a business. Yeah, that's, that is so amazing. Uh, so as you guys get started, like what was your first product uh, and how has that evolved over time? I think that's a lot of things or something that a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with yes. is okay, I have this initial idea. How do have you expanded since then? Yeah, so I think one big thing that helped us was I was actually a pro-cuber in the past. So I was ranked second in the world and first in North America in 2012. And uh, from 2011 to 2012, I was one of the more well-known cubers in the U.S. So it's about equivalent to a pro athlete starting a store in their respective fields. Um, there is some recognition of the person's brand and the person's accomplishments so people can relate to you. And it made it very easy for me to understand consumer psychology because I lived the genuine life of a Speedcuber. Um, yeah. So it didn't require any additional studying or research. I kind of just like was alive and was doing it. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, starting out, we were, I mean, we had to do business in a very low resource environment. So, like, cheap website, do everything ourselves, handwrite labels, lug big sacks of product across town to the post office. You know, it was very, very bare bones. And we stuck to the fundamentals. I think that was really important to keep costs low. And uh, yeah. my partner was very good at that. Still to this day, he like reminds <laughs> everyone to keep costs low. And that's kind of a specialty. That's amazing. Uh, 
and and early on were you selling cubes were you selling like courses what what was that just kind of product offering cube. only cube yeah <laughs> <laughs> so so, cube. yeah so we are getting into education um but uh education is kind of hard to monetize in our industry because a lot of the knowledge is free so you can pretty yeah. much go on youtube and there are a lot of reputable teachers with great credentials that will teach you exactly what you need to know um so it's yeah quite hard to commercialize but the product itself is is something that people get all the time so it was kind of our starting point yeah dude that's great um, what, what have you learned as a team? I, I, how many team members are you at now? Yeah. So it changes seasonally. So I think right now we're between 15, 20 and, uh, this is like kind of like a down season cause, uh, we're still technically retail. So, uh, when the winter picks up again and people are freaking out about Christmas and Hanukkah, we expand our workforce a little bit, but it's like yeah. in that small business range. Yeah. I love it. I think that's a killer, killer team. Uh, what have you learned as you've grown that team? Oh my goodness. Uh, what, what are some of the key things you would, you would take away? I've learned more doing this business than in any other capacity in my life ever. Uh, you learn so much about people and the importance of people. You know, you always in business school, you learn about numbers and output and percentages, margins, profits, uh, return on investment, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, all of these results are accomplished by people. And, you know, building relationships and managing people well is a really underappreciated aspect of business. And, um, you know, we've made mistakes in the past with managing people. And that is, uh, yeah, caused us to regret some of the decisions we've made. And on the flip side, you know, we, we take great care now to build genuine relationships with the people that shop with us and also the people who work with us and people stick around. And I think that's really important Yeah, keep the business going. That's amazing. Uh, what would be your tip? I, I think a lot of people that, that listen into the show, um, that's often one of the hurdles they're dealing with is like, okay, I've got this business. It's two of us. It's three of us. And we're trying to jump to that next level. What are some of the tips that you would give on finding great people? What have you learned? Yeah. So I think uh, one big important thing is to have some self-awareness of what you're bad at. And for me, I know that I cannot program a computer to save my life. Um, nor can I be the jerk that tells a person he's late to work and that if he's late again, I'm going to tell him to pack his stuff. So... You know, I need to know my limitations and need to understand where I can delegate work to a person that's better than me. Uh, so I think a lot of people have emotionally, they have hangups about that because they don't want to accept a person on their team who's better than them because it makes them feel less about, you know, their skills. But I think having complementary skills is actually really nice and it takes a lot of stress off of you if you know that there's someone really good doing something that you would be really bad at. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I think that's so true. It's, and I personally feel the relief. I'm like, Oh, finally someone who's good at yeah, this. Yeah. Right. <laughs> someone that's someone who can you do don't this have to, like, better fire than a guy. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't want to fire yourself. Right. So that I love it. Um, what have you learned about failure through this process? I think that's one of the things that people are often surprised about with entrepreneurship. They think it's 
just smooth sailing all the way to to riches uh, and success. W- what have you learned though about failing? Right. So failing is actually okay uh, as long as you manage it well. So there's two types of failures, right? There's like a complete abject failure where you do something really dumb, and then your market sees that you've done something dumb, and then you get all this like reputational harm and people don't respect you, etc. We've seen businesses in our industry do that, and it, it's kind of scary. But there's also the type of failure that's like, okay, it wasn't successful because it was strategically unsound or something, and it's a learning experience. So I think just understanding what kind of risks you can take, even if it leads to failure, can lead to a failure that's not extreme, that you could accept the losses of, but that you can also learn something. And avoiding just completely failing and hurting yourself. You know, there's like different types of failure, I would say. Is it? Yeah, no, I think that's a good one is, is almost, Hey, we're failing every day and then learning from it and implementing that change. What can you think about from your guys' experience? What what was like a road that you went down and you're like, Oh, that was a a bad decision. Yes. So, uh, one thing is, uh, we wanted to build software really early on in our business. And I learned that I am not an effective manager of software devs because uh, it's mostly because of a a lack of background. Uh, I don't speak the language. And so when a software dev tells me about their progress, I don't intuitively understand exactly what they're saying. And I think that, you know, comes to the delegation point we made earlier. Um, You need to assign a strong manager in technical fields like that so you can actually understand what's going on. And um, so that was kind of a failure because it was not effectively managed. And there were a lot of uh, feature creeping problems that was existing in our uh, software. We just wanted to add more and more and more. And it was it was hard to manage. And um, now we do not make the same mistake. If there's software to be developed, we do it in a very organized way that prioritizes a minimal viable product or something that the consumer can play with faster yeah uh as you've done that i mean how did you come to that decision was it just taking too long to launch was it customer feedback was negative what was kind of some of the clues for you uh so it was my partner saying hey you're an idiot like you're (laughs) you're not good at this we were just very open about about it so sometimes he does stuff that i feel like maybe i can do better and i'm like hey why don't you let me take over here and this is one where he was like, hey, you don't seem like you're very comfortable doing this. So maybe you should stop doing it and we'll figure it out, you know, and yeah. we just accept it. Yeah. Just just have uh, transparency and sure. and be honest with yep. each other. I love it. How has your guys' relationship developed over time? I mean, that's... Yeah, my, my yeah. life depends on the guy. Like, I cannot... <laughs> I can't complain about him. Like, obviously, we have our own quirks and we have our own biases. So he's very, you know, to the point, um, very emotionally detached from a lot of the the day-to-day stuff and uh, also kind of emotionally detached from the people at the company. So I'm a little too attached, you know, because I'm there, I'm friends with a lot of the people at work. And that's also a boundary that can create problems if you're friends with your employees. Um. But yeah, we each have our own biases, but at the same time, we understand that our differences make us better. And so I totally respect him. My life depends on him. And uh, it is what it is. How long ago were you guys at NYU? Was that? (laughs) 
I'm class of 2012. I think he was class of okay. 2015 or 2014. So we were a few years apart. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so he's, I think, 30. I'm 33. Yeah, I love it. Did you guys finish school? Did you drop out? Yeah, dude, I went to more school. So I uh, <laughs> after NYU, I went to law school. So I am actually a lawyer. I don't practice, but uh, it is something that I can do if I want it. But I like Rubik's Cubes too much. So yeah. I'm here doing Rubik's Cubes. Love it. Was that uh, kind of happening while you were getting going in yes. those early days? Yes. Love it. Yeah. I think, I, think uh, I recently read an article about Harrison Ford and how when Harrison Ford came to Hollywood, he looked at all the young actors and was like, uh, everyone is in a rush. <laughs> everyone has this. I have one year to, to be famous. And then if I'm not famous in a year, I need to leave. And so he decided, and you probably heard this, but he decided to become a carpenter so that he had a hard skill that he could do to make money so that it give himself more runway. And I think it's so applicable for entrepreneurs. So many entrepreneurs are like, their business is three months old and they're like, I have to make money now to survive. And you're like, dude, it's it's this little baby plant. You got to let it yeah, just grow. Yeah. So yeah, I come from the music industry. So a lot of artists are like that as well. You know, they, yeah. um, you know, they feel the pressure to have to succeed because they see around them successful artists. And uh, it's really tough. And some people, because of this, make compromises on their vision and uh, do all sorts of things to try to immediately make income. Yeah. And be tough. Yeah. Immediately succeed. Where'd you go to law school? I went to Georgetown. So I lived in D.C. for three oh, years. Oh, nice. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I have a little brother who's just wrapping up at Chicago. Nice. So he's, uh, he's enjoyed his time. Um, dude, that's great. Uh, with, your, with your partner, mm -hmm. what, I mean, you guys were... This is probably 10 plus years ago. Yes. Uh, you guys meet at NYU. Um, what what went right that you're kind of amazed by when you look back? What are what are some of those key like partner, found co-founder things that you're really happy just happened? I think the, the transparency and also the failure. So honestly, we've failed plenty of times and I've failed very miserably in front of him. And I could say that he's failed very miserably in front of me. Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, we know that we're in this together and we don't shame each other for making a mistake. Uh, it just, it's a thing that happens. And um, I think it makes a better partnership dynamic if you're transparent with each other and respectful. I love it. What's uh, next for the cubicle? Like, what are you guys working on? Do you have a grand vision? Is it, hey, we're just trying to get through the holiday season? <laughs> what are some of those things you're? You're focusing on that. Yeah, so we're very big into event sponsorship. So this year we're working uh, with U.S. Nationals. We're working with the World Championships. So we want to grow the sport of speed cubing. Speed cubing is really exciting. Back in my day, you couldn't make a living cubing. But now you can. You can just chill in your room and cube and have a pretty comfortable life. Uh, of course, you have to be like the best of the best. But now that career option is available and i think one of our yeah. goals is to create more jobs in the cubing industry because it is very niche and when you've been a cuber for so long you've all this built up knowledge that needs to go someplace and it would be a shame if you just like you know did something completely unrelated to cubing and forgot about it so creating jobs supporting the community obviously functioning as an e-commerce business 
fundamentally and growing and taking opportunities reasonably, I think is, um, it's kind of the roadmap. Yeah. Uh, what was your fastest time and where are you at today? Uh, yes. Like, wh- has that changed? So I'm, I'm outrageously retired. Um, <laughs> so right now I average about nine seconds. Uh, okay. so we have a, a thing where you have resulted competition that are officially, you know, kept as records. So officially okay. I've a seven single and a nine average. And, uh, at home I've averaged around seven seconds and got a four single, but that's all like unofficial stuff that happens because you do thousands and thousands of salts and every now and then you get lucky, but I'm around that like Crazy. nine second range. And, um, yeah, now I'm more focused on helping other people get better. I know like my yeah. time is kind of, uh, time is kind of up. <laughs> Dude, it's, it's a good thing to recognize. Yeah. Uh, how have you leveraged that? Like one of the things I loved is, as I looked through kind of the materials you sent over, uh, I loved seeing like you guys have created a lot of content, a lot of very organic content. Yes. Um, that has millions of views on single videos. Yeah. Like one of the ones I watched was, five different people kind of from amateur to pro yeah, and how one. they approach things. Um, like how have you leveraged that? Cause I think that's a question a lot of times CEOs are having is how do I help promote the business? How have you done that? Is that a big team? Is that you by yourself? What does that look uh, like? So we have a media team. It's not huge, but um, the guys working in our media team are seasoned content creators. They used to be like solo creators in the Cuban YouTube space. And yeah. um our, our main guy uh, expressed to us that like he was kind of worn out from being solo and wanted to be a part of a team. That way you can get more creative energy and um, more opportunities to do fun stuff. So we kind of teamed up and uh, now he works full time in our office and his day job is making stuff on YouTube. Dude, that's amazing. I think that's a great approach. I mean, there's a lot of people, if you go into any industry in YouTube, there's those those creators who are just not quite there where they can do it full time, but they have an amazing ability to create. And a lot of times that's not where businesses look. Yeah. They don't naturally go yeah. there. And, uh, you know, some creators are extremely creative, but sometimes they're slightly underdeveloped in things like business vision or doing like yeah. understanding the costs and the benefits of a decision. You know, that's stuff that an experienced person doing business would be doing more frequently and they're basically getting advice from a person with a business background what to prioritize how to structure certain things but at the same time the business people know that the creative people need space uh, to express themselves yeah what's been the uh hardest thing there has it been just creating a system so that you regularly can create content what's been yeah. hardest so our team is small so i think one hard part is managing all our ideas so we have a lot of ideas and we're like bursting with content but you know we don't have like a huge team so we can't execute everything at once so just prioritizing and timing strategically is i think one of the harder things to do yeah yeah what's uh what's been your best video uh yeah so we have a rubik's cube tutorial with over 30 million views it's amazing that's a lot of people and um, I yeah. don't expect all those people to have learned how to solve the cube, but it's um, it's cool to see this many people at least look at the video and maybe we've impacted the lives of some people at least. Yeah. Do you guys have you guys expanded internationally? Is that on the the roadmap? 
what does that process look like? Yes. So international expansion is pretty tough, um, mostly because, you know, managing a store internationally is a separate job in itself. Um, yeah. We have pretty good shipping options for international customers. Uh, international shipping to, you know, Europe, uh, if it's like Western Europe, it's actually very manageable in terms of cost. Yeah. Um, you know, you do have to wait, but, you know, it is what it is. The cost isn't prohibitive. Uh, we do wholesale to other stores. So we build very good partnerships with other stores uh, all over Asia, Europe, Australia. You know, we're kind of everywhere. And for the products that are unique to our store, we offer it to our wholesale partners to kind of get into their markets. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough, tough nut to crack international. We've uh, got a lot of people who want pillow cubes overseas, and it's just yeah. not easy to so do. We both some cubes. Yeah. I was going to say, we have a, we talk a lot about cubes here. Uh, <laughs> your cubes are actually cube shaped. Ours are right. just pretend cubes, <laughs> uh, which makes the internet so mad. That's funny. Um, but dude, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. Is there any call to action? Where can people learn more? Where can people go to buy if they want to get into this? Yeah. So uh, we are thecubicle.com. If you're interested at all in learning how to solve the cube we have a tutorial on our youtube page and uh, that tutorial i designed it to be as simple as possible so my mind was like okay how do we make a tutorial for a person to learn how to cube if they don't want to learn how to cube you know like like how do you keep it simple that they just don't find an excuse oh this is too hard i forget it you know so yeah yeah we we made it very very digestible it's a little long but it's extremely thorough and we like to think it's foolproof um, so I think my biggest advice there is to not talk yourself out of cubing. Don't tell yourself that it's too hard and that you'll do it later. It's something that you can actually learn how to do, um, pretty easily, uh, with just about any cube. But if you want a nice cube, we have lots on our website. We have lots of reviews that you can look at and our customer service is really friendly. So if you have questions, we can always answer them. But, uh, cubing is a good hobby. Love it. It's a great hobby. It's good for your brain. Love it. Yeah. Keeps you sharp. Yeah. Dude, that's awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Hang around for a minute. I have a have something for you. Sure. Uh, but thanks for coming on and sharing your wisdom with uh, all these entrepreneurs. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, Phil.